welcome to our worship time together. Uh, please take your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter 40. We're in the middle of a series called God Is, and He is, well, the term I want to use is majesty, but God is majesty doesn't quite sound right, so we'll say God is great. When I think about God is great, I can't help but think about the blessing. God is great, God is good. So I should preach next week on God is good, but that's a couple weeks down the road. So we're going to unpack this idea that God is majesty. We sang about how great our God is. We sang that uh, we're going to have 10,000, we got 10,000 reasons, and that pales in how many reasons we have to praise Him. But I want us to tackle that subject. God is majesty, or you can, if you're taking notes, you can just say God is great because He is great. But I love the word majesty because we don't use it a lot. And when we hear the word great, we, you know, all kind of stuff is great. We use great, you know, that, that was, you know, this place has great pizza or that was a great game or, or, you know, we're going on, that was a great trip we had. And we throw the word great around and I don't think we appreciate sometimes that. So I want us to think about this term majesty because our God is clothed with splendor. And majesty, but in order for that to happen, you need to understand what majesty means. And I, hate, you know, I feel like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm uh, shooting myself in the foot here. But the word majesty is from the Latin word that guess what it means? Greatness. But when we use the word majesty, we think about great respect for someone. Uh, if we were English and we said Her Majesty the Queen, we would be communicating that we have. We have this awe and this awesome and ultimate respect for her because she's the queen. And so when we think about the word majesty, as you and I ponder that, I want us to think about uh, the respect and the awe and the reverence and the, the, uh, the sheer worship we should have for God. Because not only is he great, he is majesty. J.I. Packer wrote a book called Knowing God. Some of you have probably read it. In that book, he talks about this subject of majesty. And uh, he says that when we use the term majesty as it relates to God, it communicates two things. Number one, it's a declaration of his greatness. And number two, it's an invitation to worship. And so what I want us to do for the next few minutes is I want us to unpack this idea, this declaration of, of God's Greatness, because that's really uh, what majesty is. Now, to really understand God's majesty and greatness, that I, I hate to say this, but in our culture, we we don't, we have a hard time wrapping our hands around the majesty of God. And Packer notes in his book, because that's true, our faith is feeble and our worship is tends to be flabby, because we don't really have a great picture of the majesty of God. And so, what I want to do in this message this morning for the next few minutes is I want you to take you to the book of Isaiah and we're going to look at uh, most of chapter 40 and what we're going to do is we're, we're going to just talk about why at least part of the reason why our God is so great. So I want to invite you to stand with me. We're in Isaiah chapter 40. We're only going to read about five verses uh, in the middle of it but we'll get to most of the rest of the chapter. Isaiah 40 uh, begin with me there in verse 9. It says, You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, Here is your God. Here is your God. Now he is fixing to explain God. Verse 10, See, 
the sovereign Lord comes with power. And his arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you'd take your word, you'd unwrap it and unpack it, and you'd give us a picture, small it may be, limited it might be, but nevertheless, may you give us a picture this morning of the majesty of you. That we might leave with a better understanding of the greatness of our God. We sing, how great is our God. God, I pray when we walk out the door, we will know, at least in part, how great our God is. And so God, come and meet with us. God, I know in the auditorium there, there are people with difficulties in their life, struggling with challenges. God, I pray that you'd encourage your heart. God, I know in the auditorium there's some folks that have yet to open their life to Christ. They're not sure about this Jesus thing, not quite sure about the God thing and the faith thing. And God, I pray that they would see a glimpse of you today. Father, for who you really are, your majesty, and you're great and you're awesome. So show yourself to us through your word, and we'll honor you and give you the glory for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you for honoring the Lord's word. Standing with me. If majesty is a declaration of the greatness of God, then Isaiah gives us a snapshot of that. Uh, he kind of ends verse 9 with that pronouncement, here is your God. That The English Standard Version would say it, behold your God. And so in the verses that follow, there's a picture, at least a, a partial picture, of the majesty and greatness of God. And, and what I want to do this morning is I want to share with you four characteristics, but, but to say these are four characteristics of God kind of minimize it. And uh, I couldn't really come up with a better word, so we're gonna, I'm going to share with you four manifestations of God. In other words, four ways that God shows himself, excuse me, four ways that God manifests and shows himself to be great. And so we're going to look at those over the next few minutes. Uh, part of the issue that I think uh, we wrestle with, at least I do as a pastor, and I know you probably uh, don't have occasion to read many of the books that I read, but one of the things that I found, Packer notes this in his work on knowing God, if you do read some of the champions of the faith from years gone by, like Martin Luther, the father of the Reformation, or, or Jonathan Edwards, who wrote some classic works, um, Charles Spurgeon or John Wesley or even even in the last century uh, men like A.W. Tozer men who really met with God if you read these guys you'll wonder when you see their picture and their understanding of how mighty and how powerful and how awesome their God is you almost wonder if you know the same God because they have this view of God I mean they have seen him and they have uh, experienced him and they have this view of God 
of this mighty, awesome, terrible being that's worthy of praise and reverence and awe. And then you fast forward to our generation. And and for us, God is personal. Now, God is personal. I mean, Jesus said, call him Father. But we sing songs, and I'm not saying, not that we shouldn't sing them, but we sing songs like, well, I'm a friend of God. And Jesus said, you know, I, I call you friends. And God spoke with Moses face to face as he did with a friend. But because God is personal to us, it's almost like, it's almost like we think God is like us. God isn't like us. We're finite. He's infinite. We're imperfect. He's perfect. We're unholy. He's holy. I mean, we're, we're, just, we're just limited. We're limited by space. We're limited by time. We're limited by knowledge. We're limited by power. But well, what I want to communicate to you this morning, this majestic God that we serve, He has no limitations. I mean, he is, God is great. Yeah, he's great and he's awesome and he is different than we are. And so let's look at what are these characteristics or manifestations? How does God say or how does God show? What proves us that God is really this majestic being that's infinite and worthy of our praise? Well, let me just give you four thoughts. First of all, God is omniscient. Now, you've probably heard that word. It's a theological word. Um, it means all-knowing. You just may want to make note that God is uh, has unlimited Knowledge. He has unlimited knowledge. Uh, when I was in seminary, we had a class. I don't remember what the class was. But there were probably 50 or 75 guys in the classroom, and, and we would go in there, and, and uh, this probably never happened for you. But, you know, like a good Baptist, I tried to sit at the back, at the corner. You know, it was one of them horseshoe rooms. The professor's here and the horseshoe's there. Well, I tried to sit over here kind of to the back. You know, out of the way. Just out of the way. Um, but we had one of those guys. Sat on the front row. Some people call him a brown nose. Other people say he's a know-it-all. You know, he's always raising their hand and adding to what the professor has to say. You know, or they got to ask a question. And they ask a question so that it'll show that they know, they think, as much or more than the teacher. Right? You ever had one in your class? Yeah. Yeah. Some of you teach and you go, I got... Got three of them, you know, uh, and they, they irk you. But Tony Evans in his book about God says, says these people frustrate us and they make us mad because they're know-it-alls and yet we know that they don't know the half of it. They really don't. I mean, when I, I, I promise I'm not making this up. There was a guy in this class and he would, every day, he, he would take, what he would do for notes is he would take notes of how many times this guy interrupted or how many times this guy added something. One day he counted like 40-something times, I think. You know, so I mean, or maybe he kept a running total for the week, but, but he just kept a record because he was, he's like, this guy's a know-it-all. Tony Evans is right. There's only one know-it-all and it's God and he knows it all. Notice what Isaiah said. Look, look at verse, uh, verse tw- uh, 13. It says, who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? Who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Nobody. Nobody. Why? Because our God knows it all. He knows everything. I mean, he knows everything about everything all the time. 
Everything about anything all the time. And he knows it. And you and I need to know. We need to know that he knows. I read about a guy, his grandfather, and he had lost most of his hearing. And he went to an audiologist. And uh, the audiologist says, you know, I think I can help you. And so he gave him some implants for his ear. And not only did they help him, he basically had perfect hearing. So a few months later, he goes back to the audiologist and says, well, the doctor says, well, I guess your family's pretty impressed that, uh, that you can hear everything they say now. And the guy says, well, I hadn't told anybody. <laughs> he says, I just sit and listen. He said, I've changed my will twice already. <laughs> hey, we need to be careful. You know, we always hear big brothers watching. God is watching. He knows what we think, what we say, what we do. He knows what's going on in our life. And, and now that, that, should, that, that should humble us, but it also should encourage us because he knows what's going on in your life. Nothing slips up on him. He's omniscient. He has unlimited knowledge. But not only is God omniscient, but the Bible tells us that, that our God is omnipotent. Now, that's another one of those theological words, but it means all-powerful or unlimited power. Did you know the Bible says in Jeremiah thirty-two seventeen? By the way, if you don't know this verse, you ought to jot this down in your margin or on your notes. Jeremiah thirty-two seventeen. You need to know this one. I don't know if it's going to come up on your screen, but basically it says this, Ah, sovereign Lord, you created uh, the, the earth or the heavens and the earth by your great power. And then look at that statement. Nothing is too hard for you. Nothing is too hard for you. I think it's in Luke chapter 1 when the angel comes to Mary and says, You're going to uh, have a, you're going to give birth to the Son of God. And she said, How can these things be? An angel said, with God, nothing is impossible. See, our God is all-powerful. Ephesians 3.20 says, to him who is able to do more than we can even ask or imagine. More than you can ask, more than I can, more than we can imagine. God can do it all. He can do anything. And as we work our way through Isaiah, let's just notice some things. Uh, we talk about he has all power, but he has power over everything. Notice there in verse 10, I think it's verse 10, he says, See, the sovereign Lord comes with power. By the way, sovereign, that's a whole other sermon. Sovereign means God is in control of everything. Isaiah says earlier in one of his verses, he says, The purposes of God cannot be thwarted. The psalmist writes in Psalm 115.3, said, Our God is in heaven, and he does whatever he pleases. He does whatever he pleases. Why? Because he's sovereign. He is in control. He is in charge. But, but it goes on to say, See, the sovereign Lord uh, comes with power. There's that word power. His arm rules for him. His reward is with him. His recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arm. And so here's what the, Isaiah is saying. Says, Listen, our God is, he has power over the circumstances of life. He's got power to rule, power to reward, power to provide, power to judge. If we look on in verse 12, uh, he's even got power over creation. Notice what he says there. I love this term. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? I almost brought a cup up here this morning just to, to show you. The hollow, it's like God just took in his hand and said, okay, the Atlantic Ocean, hmm, the Arctic, the Indian, 
And then maybe since the Pacific's big, maybe he used two hollows of his hand. I don't know. But then, but then it says that he, he stretched the universe out like a handbreadth. Now just keep in mind that our God had the power to stretch out the universe, the heavens, like a handbreadth. Because I'm going to show you something in a minute that's going to blow your mind. Uh, just about the creative, just the, the magnitude of our God. But he has, he has power over our circumstances. But not only that, let's read on in verse 15. It says, surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. I, I don't know what, how it works for you, but if, if you read, and you've got to be careful with the news, but if you watch the news or if you read the news online, you hear about this is going on in North Korea or that's going on in South America with Chavez or Iran's about to do this or somebody's going to do that. And, and we think, man, these people are crazy and they got nukes and then what's going to happen? Listen, you need to understand, I need to understand that our God has power over every nation. Every nation. They're like a drop in his bucket. If you don't think that's true, this is fun uh, uh, for you to do sometime. Just Google uh, the six-day war between Israel and Egypt. Just, just read about that. Little old bitty Egypt. I mean, little old bitty Israel against big old Egypt. Just Google it and read about it. The nations are just a drop down. He has power over circumstances. He has power over the nations. And, and then number three, I would say he has power over the world. Uh, can I just be honest this morning? Uh, sometimes I look at the culture around me. You know, i got two little girls. And I look at the culture around me and I would think, man, what are they going to grow up in? Uh, you know, how are things going to be? I mean, think of, you know, if you're, well, most of you aren't my age, but if you were close to my age, think about how things have changed in our lifetime. And we just wonder, you know, and I, and I get to thinking about what's going on in our world and, and our culture and, and you know, and, and, and everything around us. Or, or it might be that you woke up on Wednesday morning and like a lot of people, you were kind of bummed out about the election. At least half the people in America woke up Wednesday morning and, and they, they just woke up concerned, you know, about where are we headed? Where are we going to go economically? Where are we going to go culturally? Where, where are we going to go spiritually? Where are we going to go morally? Where are, going to, where are we going to go on the world stage? And, and, and we're concerned about that. And I want to call your attention uh, down to, I think it's verse 21 of Isaiah. L- listen to verse 21. Do you not know? H- have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He, God, sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. And its people are like grasshoppers. I mean, when I think about a circle, to me a circle is like you put chairs in a circle and you have a group meeting, have a small group meeting. You know, that's what we think about. Or we play on the Awana circle out here on Wednesday night. And that's a circle to us. Well, to God, the earth is a little circle. And you might want to underline this in verse 22. He sits enthroned over that little circle, the earth, which is where we live. It's where everything that happens to us or that we know that happens, happens to us. And God is enthroned over that. It means that he is king. See, here's what, you know, uh, here's what I figured out. It took me a few minutes after Tuesday night, but... Jesus is still king. 
He was king Wednesday morning just like he was Tuesday morning. He's king today just like he was last Sunday. He was king yesterday, and I promise you, he'll be king tomorrow. Because he is enthroned above the circle of the earth. All of the earth are like, all men, are. it says here, are like grasshoppers. He, he's, just, he's just bigger than we are. In the world that we live in, in the world that we're concerned about, in the world that we wonder about, and the things that, that we think about, you know, just understand that, that Jesus is over that world. And not only is he over that world, as we read along, uh, look at verse 23. It says, he brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. I mean, you think about, you know, the people that rule our nation and the people that rule in places like Iran and in um, Pakistan and, and, all the, and, and all these places that have an opportunity to have this great influence on the world. Just understand that, that God brings them to naught. He reduces the rulers to nothing. L- listen to verse 24. It says, no sooner, and he's talking about the rulers. No sooner are they planted... No sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. I mean, God, not only does God have power, not only does he have power over circumstances and our nations and our world, but God has, he's got power over the rulers. All of them. The Bible says he holds the heart of kings in his hand. Been reading through Jeremiah and my devotions, and it's an interesting book to read through. But but King Zedekiah, uh, you know, is is trying to hold out against Babylon, and and God sends uh, Jeremiah to him and says, "You need to go to Zedekiah. You just need to tell him, Zedekiah, if you surrender, you'll live. Your people will live. If you don't surrender, you're going to suffer. They're going to die. You got a choice, because I'm God." You got a choice. And so what does Zedekiah do? He ignores God. Nebuchadnezzar, they break down the wall. They come in. Zedekiah, they run. They go and they catch him. They kill all of his nobles, most of his family, gouge out his eyes, and haul him off to Babylon. Why? Because he was king. Because God is in control of everyone. And that same Nebuchadnezzar that was God's arm of judgment to Zedekiah, God judged him too. So don't get discouraged. Don't get bummed out. Don't get all broken up. Jesus is king. He is sitting on his throne today and he's just as much king today as he was last week, last month, last year. And he'll be just as much king next year, next month, and so on. He's God of the world. He's over the circumstances, the nations, the world, the rulers. And last of all, at least in terms of his power, this is the one I really want you to know. If you really think uh, that is something, look at verse 25 and 26. It says, To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal? Says the Holy One. Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all of these? And if you don't think it's one thing that I'm in charge down here, and he says, I am in charge down here, but look up into the heaven. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name because of his great power and mighty strength. Not one of them is missing. Not a one is missing. 
I heard a message by Lou Giglio a couple years ago, and he used this picture, and I want to show it to you. It's the Whirlpool Galaxy. Now, it wasn't original with him. He just found the, the picture. But this, this Whirlpool Galaxy is, is an interesting... Uh, I'll tell you when it was actually first discovered in a little bit. But, uh, but right now, I just want to tell you where it is. It's, it's 31 million uh, light years from, from right here, from here to there. It's 30, or from here to there is 31 million light years. Now, a couple places online actually say it's 21 or 23 million uh, light years away, but, but most agree that it's 31 million light years away. Now, I know you know exactly how far that is, but let me just help you get, that, get your hands around that. Light travels 186,000 miles per second. That is really quick. A couple weeks ago, I ran a marathon. It took me about between three and a half and four hours to go 26 miles, okay? So that's really slow. But really quick, if you were to jump on a, a, a particle and, and you were to travel the speed of light in one second, you'd go 186,000 miles, which means that in one year, you'd go about 5.8 billion miles in one year. Now, that is 31 million light years from here. I don't know how they figure that, but that's some, some odd quintillion amount of miles from where we are. Now, here's what the psalmist, in Psalm 33, verse 6, put that screen up real quick for us, if you would. Listen to, this is how God works. This is how God worked this all out. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. So God just, he just said, let there be a universe. And he went, and he put that, Galaxy, along with billions of others out into space. And the scripture says not, a, not one, not one, not one is missing. Not a one of them. Because he has the power over the whole universe. In fact, uh, you've heard me reference this verse. It's not coming up on your screen, I don't think. Go to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Um, again, you ought to make a note of this one in your margin. Two. This is a great verse. If I ever get there, Hebrews one. I want I want you to see verse one. It says, "In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets, and at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son." Now listen to this. It says, "Whom He appointed heir of all things." He appointed Jesus heir of all things, and then He says, "Through whom He made." The universe. Okay? Through Jesus, God made the universe. Verse 3, is, it says, The Son, that's Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory. In other words, a picture. And the exact representation of God's being. Listen to this. Sustaining all things by His powerful work. And so this universe that we live in is sustained and held together and operates in perfect sequence by the words, by the very word of Jesus' mouth. He is an omnipotent God. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing, omniscient. But then there's a third characteristic back in Isaiah uh, chapter forty. Uh, the third characteristic we would say about God is He is omni, uh, omnipresent. That means He's everywhere all the time. You can't get away from Him. 
But when you look at what's going on in the world around us, we know he, I mean, if he can make that by the breath of his mouth and by his word, do you ever wonder, God, are you paying attention down here? Because my life is getting all messed up. My marriage is struggling or my kids are this or my job is gone or, you know, I'm struggling. You know, do you ever feel like maybe, God, are you paying attention? You know, uh, God, do you not see what's going on in our country? Don't, do you not see what's going on? And so a lot of times we think, well, God's not paying attention. We just kind of think that. Uh, it reminds me of a story. By the way, I have permission to share this story from my wife. A little over 11 years ago, my firstborn was born, and uh, uh, Bailey was, she was about five weeks early, and so we were kind of, you know, Lisa went into labor, but it was back labor. And so I didn't have a clue about it, and she didn't really know what it was, and we just thought she had a back. I just thought I bought this rocking chair and put it together, and she sat in it and said her back hurt. I thought she just didn't like the chair. Turns out she was in labor, so we figured that out, and we head on to the hospital, and we get to the hospital, and the lady says, you're too late. You can't have an epidural. You're just going to have to have this baby. And she'd already asked her doctor for an epidural at eight months, and she was wanting to be ready, okay? And so, so we're in there, and we go in the delivery room, and things begin to happen. And if you've never been in the delivery room, you know, women go, they have labor pains. They have contractions is what they call them. And you go into contractions, and then, you know, there's two or three or four minutes, and there's no contractions, and everything's just, it's just a relaxed time. Well, well her do- Dr. Freeman's kind of chatty, and, of course, I'm a little chatty, and so... In between contractions, we start having a conversation about missions, about going to India. If you're a husband or a husband-to-be, let me give you some advice. This is free. This is free advice. If you have a conversation in the delivery room, it better be about your wife. (laughs) And it better be to your wife. Just as free advice. Because my wife says to the nurse, do they not know I'm here? You know, this is not about them. You know, and I asked her last night, can I tell this story? And I said, you probably don't remember how long. She says, I remember saying to the nurse, are they not paying attention? A lot of times we feel like God was like me, that he's not paying attention. Because we're in labor and things are going hard and difficult and we don't know how they're going to turn out and we're worried about it and I just you just need to know you just need to remember and you just need to understand that God's paying attention because he's ever he knows exactly where you are notice notice what the prophet said in verse 27 he says why do you say O Jacob and complain O Israel my way is hidden from the Lord my cause is disregarded by my God listen God knows I don't know what's going on in your life I don't know what's happening with your marriage, with your job, with your family, with your neighbors, with your kids, with your uh, aging parents or grandparents. Or, or I don't know what's going on in your life. But I do know this. God is right there with you. If you belong to him, he is walking with you. And it may look dark and it may look bleak and it may look difficult. But I promise you, he is with you. Because he is an ever-present God. The psalmist, you can read about this in 139, Psalm 139. David said, I can't get away from God. He said, if I were to go to the depths of hell, he'd be there. He said, if I went to the heights of heaven, he'd be there. He said, if I was in the depths of the ocean, he'd be there. If I went to the top of the mountain, I'd be there. He says, there's nowhere I can go. I can't get away from him. Why? Because our God is an ever-present God. He is omnipresent everywhere all the time. He's right with you. 
don't know what's happening in your life, but I know this. He's right there with you. He is right there with you. He is omnipresent. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. And then real quickly, I couldn't speak about the majesty and the greatness of God without talking about the fact that our God is eternal. He is an everlasting God. Look at verse 28. It says, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary in his understanding. No one can fathom. Uh, God is everlasting. He is eternal. And that is so hard for us to understand. How can God have no beginning? And how can God have no end? I don't know. I don't know. But he's always been. There's never been a time when God wasn't. He will always be. There'll never be a time when God is not. He transcends time and space. And so he's eternal. He's eternal. Interesting enough, have you ever wondered, you remember when God said to Moses, when Moses said, uh, God tells Moses to go to Egypt up to deliver Israel and and Moses says, God, who do I tell him sent me? Do you remember what God said? He said, just tell him I am sent me. Have you ever wondered what that I am means? Because remember, Jesus was having a conversation with the Pharisees, and, and uh, they were asking him what right he had to do something. And he said, well, before Abraham was, I am. And so you know, this is hard. God God has no limitations in terms of time. We, we don't understand that because we've got today, and then we've got yes, we've got the past, then we've got the present, we've got the past, and we've got the future. Something either it's right now or it's past, or it's right now or it's future. I mean, it's one or the other for us. But, but God's not like that. See, if we went back the next Thursday. We wouldn't say, uh, you know, I am playing golf last Thursday. We'd say, I played golf. I was playing golf or whatever you were doing or I was doing. Wasn't playing golf last Thursday, I don't think. But it, it, it's that, you know, we, we have to go past. Or we have to say, well, you know, next Thursday I'm going to go on a trip or, or do whatever. We have to say future. But that's not how God works. Because God's always present. He's always present. And so he's I am in the past, he's I am in the future, he's I am right now. And I, 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 hey, I can't explain that. Tony Evans gave a picture. He said, think about it this way. He wrote a book on, on God. He says, think about it. He said, if you were to go to a parade, now some of you will go to a parade during Thanksgiving. Some of you might watch it on TV. But if you were to go to a parade and you were sitting over there, we went, I think, last year to Austin. Don't go to Austin to the parade, trust me. But anyway, we went to the parade in Austin. Well, you might see, the, you might hear the band and see two flows, and there's a group of cheerleaders right here. But that's all you can get. And then after a few minutes pass, after some time passes, then you get you get three more floats, and you get the Boy Scouts, and you get them crazy guys driving around in little cars. Okay, that's who comes. But but all you all we ever get is a snapshot, and it's that moment in time. At this moment in time, I can see this. But God's not like that. And Evan says, he says, here's the kind of, he says, just imagine if you were to be in the, the Goodyear blimp. I don't even think it's a Goodyear blimp anymore. I think it's a Snoopy too. He says, if you were up in this blimp, he says, you'd get the whole parade. You'd get it all anytime you wanted to get it. And he says, 
because God is eternal and everlasting and unlimited by time and space. God is in the blimp and he is everywhere all the time. If you go to tomorrow, he's there. If you go to yesterday, he's there. If you're here today, he's there. God is everlasting and eternal. That's our God. And I don't know what you're wrestling with, and I don't know what you're struggling with, and I don't know, maybe you, you know, you woke up Wednesday bummed out because of the election. In fact, I had a guy tell me, you know, I won't tell you his name, you can probably figure it out, but he told me a while ago, he said, you know, I hadn't said anything about the football game yesterday, the fight in Texas Aggies, I have to say something about it. He said, for 30 seconds, I forgot about the election after that football game. But a lot of people woke up bummed out, and they go, I don't know where we're going to go. You know what, I don't either. But I know, I know that my God is in control. In fact, I want you to look down in verse, let's read 30 and, uh, let's read 29 and follow. It says, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those, but those, look at this, but those who hope in the Lord, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles and they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Those who hope in the Lord. And I want to encourage you this morning. You need to hope in the Lord. If you didn't like the election, you need to hope in the Lord. I, you know, let me just go ahead and say this. I'll probably get in trouble. The only person who can help us in America is God. No party, no president, no senator, no governor, no sheriff. God is it. So we need to hope in the Lord. But I need to say to you, if you're struggling in your marriage or your world's coming apart because you don't know how you're going to survive financially or or there's some other issues going on in your life and you don't know what's going to happen with your kids or your Parents are getting old. You don't know how you're going to take care of them or whatever it is going on in your life. I don't know what it is, but I'm just telling you. If you'll hope in the Lord, He is bigger than anything. He is bigger than everything. And the Bible says in Second, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, it says that those of us who give our life to Christ, that we're given new birth into a living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And if you got Jesus, you have hope. The Word says it. There's hope in the name of Jesus. I want to go back to that. Can we put the whirlpool up one more time? Uh, I told you I was going to tell you this. I've got to go quickly. Charles Messier, I guess how you say his name, discovered this thing in 1773. I don't know how he did that. But he found it in 1773. That's why it's called the M51 or whatever. I think that's the scientific name. But it wasn't until a few years ago when they, the Hubble telescope began to take pictures out. You know, it's connected to a satellite out in orbit 300-odd miles, I think, above the surface of the Earth. And it's taking all these pictures. But when the Hubble took these pictures, that's where these pictures come from. And they're able to see in the middle of this galaxy here, there's a black hole. It's in the nucleus. They call it the black hole and uh, science calls it, this, there's a couple dust rings, and science calls it the X. But I want you to look at it. It's really not an X. I want you to see what it is. What, that's a cross. And somehow God knew in, his, in, in eternity past when he spoke and breathed this into existence, he knew that, that in, our, in our day, 
we would be able to see millions of light years out into the universe. And God in his loving grace put this little picture of a cross out there just to remind us that those who hope in the Lord will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. And the reason is there was a cross on a hill called Mount Calvary about 2,000 years ago where the star breather became the sin bearer and he died on that cross to pay for your sins and my sins and your sins and our sins and the sins of the whole world. And if you'll put your hope in him and your trust in him, it really won't matter what happens because he's in control and he's king. And he is worthy of worship. So here's my question. Is the king of the universe the king of your life? Is the king of the universe the king of your life? Let's pray together. Father, I know in an auditorium this size, with a group this size, that the message falls on different hearts and falls on different circumstances and different situations. For some of us, life is really good. For some of us, life's pretty good. For some of us, life's kind of tough. And God, my prayer this morning is that all of us would hope in the Lord. Those who wait on the Lord will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. God, I know in a group this size, there's some who have never given their life to Jesus. My prayer is that today, that today, they would decide to surrender to Christ as Lord and Savior. God, my prayer is that today they would decide to give their heart to Jesus. God, for many of us, that's a decision already made. But the majesty of God is an invitation to worship. For many of us, we need to worship like we never have. We need to honor you like we've never done. And my prayer is that today, that we will honor you as our Lord, as our Savior. That we would make you, Jesus. You're already king of the universe. You're already in control of everything. The question is, are you king of our life? Are you in control of us? And if you're not, I pray that every person here would totally, completely surrender to you, Jesus, as your Lord and as your Savior. And we'll give you the honor and the praise for it all. For it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.